Oh, hey everybody, it's me, Christopher Thomas Plant. And it's me, Ross Forster. And we're the Resties. We're the rest of the best. Discuss the best of the rest with you, dear listener. Thank you so much for being here. It is another very special episode of our Resties Required Reading List. The it, three R's. We were doing these three R's before RRR was. I don't think that's true. I, th- I think we may have hopped on the close. bandwagon. It was close. It was close. I'll give it that. I will tell you all about how this works after the break because there's a whole rigmarole. But you will want to stay around because we're going to talk about some of the best games of all time, specifically from the years 2015 to 2020. Very recent. Uh but first, you you said you had something to talk about. I got a birthday question for you. Uh-huh. D- d- when is it okay to not open presents in front of people? So, is this about your child? This is about my child. He's turning two very soon, and I I don't want to open presents in front of people. He's going to... Uh, who knows how he's going to react? He's going to throw stuff on the floor. He might spit on it. Who knows? Who needs that drama? I I think this is just some parenting tips. I don't think you need to open presents in front of people with your kid until at least like five or six. Because kids are super boring unless they are your kid. Yeah. <laughs> or like if you're a grandparent, right? So if the grandparents are over, yeah, you've got to open the gift with them. But otherwise, everyone's winning. Nobody wants but, to, like, they don't need to see your kid open the present. But there will be grandparents there. You pull them aside at the end or at the beginning. That's the trick. You carve yeah. out a little time. Okay, yeah. But you okay, do that's, it, like... That's the play. This is pro level. And honestly, I kind of think, like, that's true in big group settings anyway. The The process of, like, having to watch other people open gifts it to sucks. me... It sucks. It's deeply weird. There's, no like, one likes it. No, it, there's so much social pressure... That you're putting on the person who's opening it, and this applies to like baby showers yeah. and, and wedding shower. What do they have? Wedding parties, pre-wedding parties, whatever they're called. Yeah. Everything. <laughs> and let me be clear: big fan of gifts in general. Gifts, yeah, gifts, gifts are nice. Great if you can find a way to open one-on-one with the person who gave you the gift. A delight, though. Even then, sometimes you know, like. A little, a little awkward because maybe, you know, like, I think, like, uh, Christmas gifts, that's always a tough one. Because it's like, oh, I got my aunt or uncle a gift. I don't really know what they want. And then they don't want to make me feel sad. So we're both kind of in this, like, stalemate of Midwest politeness. Yeah, you know what the trick is? What? No one is ever disappointed if you go right to the source, Hemmaker Schlemmer. <laughs> oh, yeah? Only the best yeah. for Hemmaker Schlemmer. If you want balls that you rotate in your hand for meditation purposes or a foot bath, they got you covered. I This is a real testament to a deeply Midwest family that gets uncomfortable with all of these sort of niceties is around the time I think I turned 10 or 11, my entire Kansas City-based family decided that we would just all go in on like a donation gift. That's for, great. For someone else. That's, and it was, that's fantastic. That, it ruled. It immediately took all the pressure away. You just understood, like, I'm not getting anything. I'm also not giving anything. And all of us feel good. And we were, like, part of something. It is, I, I am a huge fan of it. Um, I love it. If, if you have the opportunity and the means. Yes. Um, hey, should we actually talk about video games? Let us do it. Cool. Let's do it right after the break. Okay, we're back. It is another episode of the Resty's Required Reading List. I will catch you up on what this is and how it works very quickly. Our goal is to collect a list of 25 games from Pac-Man to modern day. So that's 1980 to 2020. These are not the best games. They aren't even our favorite games. It is most definitely not one of those huge top 100 games of all time sort of list. You can find gobs and gobs of them all over the internet these are the games that we feel everyone who wants to have a fundamental appreciation of video games should play 
they will give you a kind of a rich connection to everything else that you uh, are enjoying when you listen to the besties or when you just dive into a video games on your own. I like to compare it to a video game syllabus for video games 101. Fresh does not like that. And then I and then I will I find that say, sounds like homework and boring. Yeah, and I'll say like, oh, but no, maybe it's like 25 games we'd put in a museum. And then you're like... Even more boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we, we're still working on the marketing. It's 25 games you'd put on a roller coaster. That's oh yeah no I I think that's good I think that's good uh, or like um your first twenty five games you know yeah like I think that like if you ha- if you need this starting point to kind of build your vocabulary to play video games these are a great first twenty five metamorph a bit I think I like that <laughs> I think that's I'm a okay game with that it. was that was my it, son's very is, first game oh it, was... oh I thought that was the name of the show and I was like no no I too. can't take credit it's a it's a very good iOS game for babies basically sounds nice um we have already picked 17 games and I will share them along with the final ones that we pick here at the end of the show because I want to get right into it uh this week we are picking games from 2015 to 2020. This is the biggest chunk of time that we'll do in the entire show. Usually we talk about five years. This is actually six years. Um, and Ugh. what a what a busy six years this is. Could not have picked a worse time to have to pick uh, only two or three games because this is this is video games finding itself. Period. In my opinion, I think like the last like. 2015 onwards is when video games, uh, again, it's like always tempting to use film, but like 1960s film, where it's it's largely uh, toys that have transitioned to like full on regular uh, works of art that are blending. And they're doing everything I want a game to do all at once. And many games are doing it, not just a few each year. Yeah, it's fucking nuts. That's that's all I can say about it. I don't even know how we want to dig into this last time we narrowed it down to 15 games if that helps before this we were doing episodes where we talked about gobs and gobs and just became impossible this time we're going to narrow it down to 20 um just because just initially just so we're not talking about every game but but we still will be culling this list ever further until we get down to what is it three two or three yeah probably three for this episode it's probably how could we not yeah um, do you just want to start in 2015? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So 2015, there's a game that didn't even make the top 20, but it's worth mentioning. It's Bloodborne. We know. We hear you. It's an absolutely fantastic game. Maybe the best Souls game. We already have Souls. Demon repre- Souls. Yeah, we already have already it represented on, on this list. Yeah. If, if you're wanting to get that experience, it's already here. Um, But something that we don't have on the list is... Her story, which was Polygon's game of the year, I think, in 2015. I think that's right. Um, and I look at her story as making good on this either like ambition and or threat by the video game industry to make video games more like movies. Um, there, I think, has been this like little sibling attitude with video games for i don't know as long as i can remember of being the like art form that had to justify itself as art and often they did that by doing something i just did earlier in the show which is comparing themselves to film and the natural endpoint was this where film and video games blurred together this obviously wasn't the first time this has been done full motion videos if you listen to any Justin McElroy podcast, you know that these have existed for a long time. But this is, I think, the first time that full motion video games like made sense <laughs> were like actually interesting games. Um, but I'm how does her story hold up for you, you know, like over the years? I mean, it's it's cool. It's very cool. Uh, it You know, you have a, a very intriguing story ton, uh, told with like a very strong actress um and the format of it of trying to uncover this mystery is very cool i mean it doesn't really outside of sam barlow's other games doesn't really have a lot of analogs to other games out there yeah so apart from it being a very cool very well done experiment i don't think it belongs on this list but it is a very strong title yeah i i think that's right and i think when this was on polygon's game of the year i actually don't know if i was at polygon i might have been at the verge at this point 
but but I think that there was an assumption that this would become more of a thing as a genre, kind of like when Walking Dead, the episodic version, yeah, was blowing up. You know, that was a game of the year because it felt like we were watching the beginning of something new, and then that idea kind of fizzled out. There's still plenty of other FMV games that Barlow doesn't make, but they none of them are nearly as big as his work, and even his work is still compared to the rest of the industry, like relatively small. Um, I think it's a great game. I think people should play it. I think they should also try, is it Immortality, the new? Immortality is the yeah, newest yeah, one, yeah. yeah. I think is interesting. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't think it makes a list. 2016, do you want to kick that one off? Uh, sure. The Witness um, was a puzzle game, first-person puzzle game um, from John Blow. This, I guess, is similar to her story insofar as it's very well made. It has incredibly clever puzzle design. Uh, it's basically like a first-person thing. And at first, you you think that the puzzle is very simple, where it's all just line-based stuff. But then the way the game design works, like new mechanics are layered into these very simple puzzles. So maybe you're hearing like a bird tweeting, and that's like a clue of how to solve the puzzle that's in front of you. Mm. Once again, I don't necessarily see a lot of analogs to other games in The Witness, although I guess you could say, like, there's an element of, like, the Koroks in Breath of the Wild kind of manifesting in The Witness a little bit. Yeah. Um, Not to say that they were an inspiration because the game came out next year, but it's a very cool game. I just don't know that it had the impact that... uh some of the other games on this list had. Yeah, I I think Blow's interesting in that he managed to make Lightning Strike twice. Um, yeah. He made Braid, and he made Braid as an indie game that was on the Xbox Marketplace, where he had, like, it is a very good game. He also had a tremendous advantage because there were just so few games. Yeah, at, it was one of the first. Point. It was, like, alongside, like, Super Meat Boy and one of the very, very first, like, when you think about XBLA games... Braid was like in the top. Yeah. But then when by the time the witness came around, I mean, that was peak steam. Like there yeah. was a lot more competition and uh, he managed to do it again. I think Blow, from my perspective, has almost been as much of a gift to journalists uh, as uh, video game enjoyers, just because I feel like every few years we get an interesting profile written about him because. He's extremely quirky, and his philosophy, which is both in his games and outside of his games, is a lot. Um, but I agree. I For me, it's a, it's a great puzzle game if you enjoy puzzle games, and it is yeah. not a must-play otherwise. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, but there's next up is a game I think will almost certainly make this list, I think, I hope. I think you're right. Um, and that is Stardew Valley. So Stardew Valley comes out in 2016, and it is effectively, hey, this one person really missed Harvest Moon in farm life simulation games uh, that really kind of popped off in the Super Nintendo era. And then it became something so much more. I mean, it, to me, it has fully usurped Harvest Moon. That Oh, yeah, that it's unquestionably the best farming sim that's ever been made yeah and well not just the best but culturally um the kleenex of this type of game yeah you know agreed. where it's like when you say this type of game nobody now is like oh it's like harvest moon it's oh it's like Har uh stardew valley and the the i was trying to think of a comparison for this and the closest i could think of was it used to be like doom likes for first yeah. person shooters and then it became call of duty um, yeah, the Stardew Valley is not just a reference point from like, a, oh, there's another farming game. Oh, it's like Stardew Valley. It's now a reference for like any game where you feel like cozy and comforted by playing it. Yeah. Like any game that you play to just like chill out, that's a Stardew Valley-esque experience. And so, yeah, that Kleenex example is a perfect one because it really has become, you know, the default cozy game that people think of. Yeah, I also think it, it, and we can mention it right now because I think they kind of play nicely together, No Man's Sky, which comes out the same year, ended up paving a lot of the very modern ideas of how living games work. Sure. Way ahead of everyone else. Yeah, um, I mean, Start, Stardew Valley and No Man's Sky like survi have survived in no small part because of updates. I know Stardew Valley was way more of a critical success at launch 
whereas obviously No Man's Sky launched to critical derision. But both of them have basically stayed in the mix over the course of the last, however it is, seven years because of these free updates they've dropped. And they've only made the game dramatically better over time yeah, uh, and really come closer and closer and closer to what the creator's dreams were for these titles. Um, and it's actually like, a, a, apart from being like great for the people that bought it early, it's a business model because in both cases, the sales for these games spike whenever they do a big update. Cause it's like, Oh, I've never heard of this game. Look at all the stuff they have. Yeah. So it's it, I, completely genius. Um, I, I, I think Stardew Valley is, uh, you know, if that's the standout aspect, which I don't think is the only reason Stardew Valley is on this list. Uh, I think Stardew Valley does this even better than No Man's Sky does, but both of them are pretty remarkable titles. Yeah, I, I don't know how intentional this was, but I think the very clever thing that they figured out in terms of DLC and expansions is that there are just millions and millions of people waiting to play your game who have not dove in. And the standard idea in the past was you created a fan base and then you actually shrunk it with each new DLC you add. Yeah. And their idea was, well, we'll just keep going after. We'll take more and more bites of the apple because there are so many people that we didn't get the first time around. And there's always new you know, players entering the space ready to try something. And the more you add to the game, the more value it is. So you, it becomes more and more and more enticing. Um, yeah, Terraria, for what it's worth, is another yeah. example. I don't think it's on this list, but another great example of a game that has followed this model and been massively successful because of it. Yeah, I also think unlike, uh, you know, The Witness or horse, Her Story, I feel like we see a farming sim every quarter, if yeah. not more than that. Like, I, it, it fully revived the genre. And um, if it's not farming, it's like... Oh, I'm a wizard and I'm collecting potion <laughs> ingredients. Or yeah. like, but it's just like a, a skin for what is essentially a Stardew Valley game. Right. I right, mean, right. his next game is Haunted Chocolatier. And it's basically Stardew Valley, but you're running a chocolate factory so instead excited. of a farm. Yeah. I, I, this game to me just feels as fresh today as it did when it came out, which is a, a miracle. <laughs> like I, that, uh, I honestly so think unusual. 20 years from now, people will still be playing Stardew Valley. No question in my mind. I think that's right. Um, no Man's Sky is the other one about uh, that's kind of on that tier, but it is it had to keep updating kind of out of necessity. <laughs> yeah, because sure. it just didn't launch. It didn't follow through on the promise that it had made ahead of launch. So, I mean, you were following Hello Games before this game came out, right? Yes. Can you talk a little bit about like what they were? I mean, they were they were in very much an indie studio making like neat indie games, but like nothing that was setting the world on fire. They made a series called Joe Danger, which was like a side scrolling like motorcycle game. And they were good games, but they weren't like, you know, major E3 press conference trailer games. And then this, you know, No Man's Sky comes out as a trailer and everyone's like losing their minds over the prospect of like being able to have this infinite universe at your disposal and they're doing a lot of interviews saying like, oh, you know, how incredibly unique the experience is and how, you know, you can meet your friends on the same planet, maybe. And they were making a lot of big promises. And at launch, they just weren't able to execute yeah. on a lot of them. And it just was like a pretty weak launch. Yeah, this but over was the course also... of seven years have made it a much, much stronger game. Yeah, it, it, it was the weird period where... Indies were getting some funding from like Sony or Xbox, right? But not fully getting support that a a major studio would. So yes, th they show a trailer for No Man's Sky at E3, I think, or maybe GDC, and they're basically like, you can go anywhere. You can see the entire universe. There's you know thousands of planets. You'll never see the same. Planet. I mean, honestly, it was Starfield before Starfield. Like right. that's what people wanted was like a. Elder Scrolls style game in space. And, and that's what it looked like. And it looked like that. Yeah. And then um, it didn't make sense because the team was so It was like so 20 people. Small. Yeah. And the head of the studio, Sean Murray, was like doing demos and talking about it and didn't have that kind of PR infrastructure that a video game studio typically has. And 
I do not. I, I want way more transparency from video game studios. I think that is like very important. At the same time, I think there is a value in people understanding like why they get PR trained and why they need to be careful with what they say. What, what to share versus not like, yeah, you need to be selective. Yeah. You can't just like shoot off at the hip in the hopes that like everything's going to work out because people are going to be spending money according to what you say. I, I think No Man's Sky, again, if you haven't played it, play it today. It's an amazing experience. It's an amazing VR experience if you have the setup for it. It's amazing on like a Steam Deck. It's amazing on consoles. It's great everywhere, but it took years and years to get to that point. Um, I, I don't, again, I don't think this game is going to uh, make our final cut list, but it is tremendous. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that is spot on. Also, I, I maybe this is apocryphal, but I think Sean Murray mortgaged his house to fund Joe Danger. Which I, I think I wrote that story. Did you write that? <laughs> For Kotaku, I think I wrote up that story oh as a freelancer. Gosh. I love that. Um, uh, next up, this is, this is such a wild year, Pokemon Go. Yeah. I mean, you're still playing this, right? No, I'm not. You're not? I haven't played in about two years. Oh, did, uh, did Fire Emblem take it over? No, the pandemic took it over and I couldn't leave the house. Well, that'll do <laughs> it. Uh, amazing, amazing game. So it's hard to imagine any other video game anytime soon reaching the level of insanity that this game reached, uh, where people were sprinting around Central Park in masses of like hundreds because mm. a Dratini spawned. Like that shit was bonkers. I've never seen anything like it. I don't know when I'll ever see anything like it again. It's interesting playing it now without the... I mean, there's still a very strong fan base. There's still a lot of dedicated players, but it's not the like, obviously, the talk of every office, like yeah. in the morning and stuff like that. So I do think an element is now lost and it has become, while it's a good mobile game, it has become like a much more insular kind of hardcore mobile game yeah. um, that can be a little bit tough to jump into. Uh, I think it's, I think for when it came out, it was. Like, if you asked me that year, I'd say 100%. This is like a world-changing game. I think it has simmered since then. And, and they've not... made so many false starts on other games like it. Yeah, they've tried to basically... Use... I mean, Pokemon Go came from another game uh, called... What was that game called? Yeah, that game. The Whatever that game, game was called. They used basically the technology to build Pokemon Go... And then they did a Harry Potter game and they did an NBA game and a blah, 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 blah. So they've used that model a lot and none of them have really done what Pokemon Go did, which is maybe just a sign of like, it was a perfect storm of Pokemon Go being a perfect fit for the idea of people running around collecting monsters. And I don't know if they'll ever hit that level again. I wonder but. if they'll ever reboot it or give it a sequel of sorts. Maybe. That feels like the the play if they had the opportunity i i i agree i again never seen anything like it i mean people were accusing the game of like getting people killed because they were you know walking into traffic or whatever trying to catch a pokemon through the lens of their iphone um it was it was hysteria um but i wonder if the legacy of this game is going to be more about like the data that it collected than the game itself because the company that made it Niantic, yeah, is branched off from it's part the person who runs it branched off from the Google Maps uh, at Google, and this is this game is collecting just massive amounts of data about the world around you through your phones, um, and what they've done with that data, I don't know. I'm very curious, but I think it, it's very interesting that they continue to make games that are about effectively asking its users to hold up their phones and uh, capture the world around them. Uh, is this the Chris Plant Paranoid Minute? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, what? How do we even... We're going into 2017 now. How do we talk about Breath of the Wild? Because we've talked about it so much. On yeah, I don't know that we need to go at length about it i guess i guess the weird thing about breath of the wild is that its inspiration is obviously felt in its sequel tears of the kingdom which just came out a month ago um there are a couple other games that have used it like the format of it for 
um, their own like releases, but largely speaking, like I think a lot of people were expecting like, oh, every company is going to have their Breath of the Wild uh, after this game came out. And it hasn't really happened, mostly just because like no one can match the raw scope and incredible game design that Nintendo can throw at a thing. Yeah, I mean, and I, I want to be clear for for the list we're creating, it doesn't have to have spawned, you know, a million clones or, no, sure. or ripoffs. But I, I think that's a piece of the puzzle, and I think that's why we kind of keep returning to it. For me, I look at Breath of the Wild as, because of that, like a sort of turning point for the ambitions of video game developers. And yeah. I look at Tears of the Kingdom as like part two of that. And that you're right, Breath of the Wild came out. And I think a lot of people thought, we could do that. We could do a Breath of the Wild. In fact, we will not even put like our very best teams and all of our money on it. We'll just have, what was it, Immortals, Phoenix, Phoenix Rising. Rising. Right? Like, we'll just, we'll just do that as a type of game. And discovered, oh, these sorts of things that Nintendo is making, especially in, in with Zelda, are just colossally difficult and expensive and take uh, immense talent and money and time and R&D. And I think that was a learning lesson <laughs> for a lot of studios post Breath of the Wild. It's, it's not that we didn't see people try. It's that they just didn't pull it off, except for maybe Elden Ring. Elden Ring is really right? the only example that I can think of that like massively, totally, 100% succeeded in this. Right. And I wonder now with like Elden Ring and Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom and GTA 6 on the way next year or the year after, if now we are entering, entering like quadruple A, I don't know, I wish there was a better phrase for that, but this sort of tier of game that is so big and expensive and ambitious and difficult to make that people don't even try to like do it because it's it's truly out of their scope. Yeah. Um, and I guess like that that is important. I would also say Breath of the Wild's significance is that to me it's the first truly great blend of hand like portable console game right it, like it exec the promise of the nintendo switch is immediately obvious because of this game and i don't know if the switch is as popular if it didn't have this game within its first six months oh yeah no i completely agree i definitely think the switch um owes so much or to breath of the wild and it's spot on success yeah i I, we, we can kind of come back to it in terms of like where if it is on this list or not. But yeah, I, if if you want to hear more about Breath of the Wild, just listen to the entire Besties back catalog because we've talked about it for thousands of hours. I do want to mention before we wrap up Breath of the Wild, uh, if you're looking for an indie studio trying to pull off Breath of the Wild and actually succeeding pretty amazingly, uh, check out Chia, which is spelled T-C-H-I-A. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's definitely not the like full on Tears of the Kingdom. Like you could tell, their budget was obviously a mo much more strapped. But wow, yeah, that's like a really interesting approach to how you do Breath of the Wild in a totally unique way. Yeah, and and you mentioned the budget thing. I, I mean, that game's just so impressive to me. They seem to really get. Hey, what what what's the thing that we care about the most? And that seems to be the exploration in that game. Yeah. Um, yeah, that game rules. I, it's still, like, just on Epic Game Store. Is that right? It's on PS Plus and oh, it's other things. Too. Okay. Or it was on PS Plus for free that year. But, it, yeah, it's on consoles. What a game. Um, uh, next up, Nier Automata. Have you heard of it? I have heard of it. I played it yeah. start to finish you, with all the endings. You probably want to be the one to talk about it then, right? No. No? Um. Near Automata may be my favorite video game. I don't know who needs to be on this list, but I got to talk about it. It means so much to me because it works as a game and a critique of games. And speaking of film and what I like about film is it can be two things at once that you are both watching the movie and you're also able to think about the creation of the movie and the mise-en-scene and, and all the stuff around it. And... I think that Nier does that in a way that few games had up until it and still have quite often since then. And by that, I mean, 
it, it doesn't feel like it is a game where it is telling me what I should feel. It feels like it's giving me prompts, whether that is, hey, you are now in a level that looks like Galaga, or you are in a level that looks like a Mario platform, or you are in this different place. And alongside you being in a different kind of genre, the story has fundamentally changed, and the genre of the story has changed. And also, the way these characters are behaving has changed. And why? Why Why did we make that choice? We were leaving room for you to interpret that. I don't feel like a lot of games have the confidence to do that. And uh, the ones that do, I think, often don't deliver on that that uh, that confidence. This one does. Um, I love it so much. I don't know if it belongs in this list, but... I think it would be a better anime to some extent. No, like, no, that doesn't make sense at all. And also, it is an anime. They're making it right now. I, I know, and maybe that's the better way to experience a story like that. <laughs> I, I, I understand your point about it being crit- critique of video games and sort of also being a video game and very interesting. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I've talked about it before. I, I think it's, it's overlong, and uh, there's a very interesting point that's being made that is kind of buried underneath a bunch of things that aren't that interesting i think my my counterpoint to it would be good as an anime is i don't think the story is like that great like i i think the reason it works is because it is playable and it's toying with the history of video games like quite literally by recreating it so i think if you if you yeah i mean i just didn't find the gameplay to be that engaging yeah i mean that's fine um thank you for letting me talk about it let's talk about a game that will almost certainly be on the list it's fortnite Fortnite, baby! Rounding out 2017, the biggest game now, still, 2023, and we're still talking about it. Um, yeah, it's it's fucking wild. Yeah, I mean, you you you're still playing it, right? You're still I mining still play it for Fortnite. Um, I mean, it's obviously worth noting that Fortnite a launched as a ridiculous base defense game called Fortnite Save the World that no one really, uh, very few people comparatively play. But obviously when the Battle Royale mode launched, uh, essentially cribbing what PUBG had done before it, um, it just turned into this whole other massively popular thing. Um, And that game has just like, I guess what's so interesting about Fortnite is just how willing they are to like really constantly tinker with every tiny little aspect of everything in that game, whether it's the map or whether it's the weapons or whether it's, hey, let's do an event with fucking Darth Maul in it. And it just has become part of the zeitgeist in ways that I just never imagined. The fact that there are live concerts happening within Fortnite, um, I think even though it is not necessarily the like go-to game, I think, for like every kid these days, I think within it there's so many interesting aspects that like while it's not necessarily the coolest uh it's still one of the most interesting games around and and i'm constantly very impressed at just the amount of random shit they're able to do and do it really well the fact that they can throw in spider-man web swinging (laughs) and it's better than any most it's better than most spider-man it's not as good as the like uh, most recent Spider-Man Sony game, yeah. but it's pretty fucking close to that. It feels amazing. And uh, I mean, I guess it's the luxury of like throwing just enormous amounts of manpower at a game until it is just like soaring. Yeah. When we were doing um, Game of the Year for Polygon in 2017, and especially when we were doing Game of the Decade in 2020, I remember the conversation of Port- Fortnite versus PUBG or Player Unknown's Battle ga- Battlegrounds. And PUBG is largely credited for creating the battle royale genre. But I think the thing that has changed now in hindsight is that genre came and it's not gone, but it is less important. But Fortnite is everything. I mean, it is it's a it's a battle royale, but it is so much more too. And I think that's why its legacy will go beyond PUBG and why it, you know, even if it started as a PUBG clone, which it certainly felt like when it came out, to be like super clear, when I, I mean, when we first saw the trailer for Fortnite, the 
Battle Royale mode, it really felt like they were just cutting loose from the version of the game that hadn't worked. They saw a real opportunity on the horizon, and they were going to chase it as fast as they possibly could with all of the developer talent they already had at Epic. And whether or not that is like quite literally what they were doing, they kept going and have like never really slowed down since. I mean, the cadence at which they add stuff to this game is mind-numbing. Yeah. I, I do not know how they do it. It's like every two to three weeks, there's like a pretty significant update. It's nuts. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's, it's just huge. It's inescapable. We, we're not going to add it to the list, but feel like I should mention Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, astonishing cutting-edge uh, systems uh, mired by extremely outdated gameplay ideas and a story that I find comically absurd by the end <laughs> but come on like this no is... we we do we have too many games so okay you, i agree okay. with you it shouldn't be on this yeah list. like I, I, if you want to climb the same mountain over and over again i wish you the best well um, i do that in tears of the kingdom for what it's worth but no uh, no well yeah that's, that's true that's true hey you know what it's very cool i just don't dunk me don't ruin my life Oberdin, the return of the Oberdin, amazing first person detective game that uh, I just uh, need to go back and play again because I played a bunch but never finished it and now I think I've forgotten everything and I'm dying to go back and play it again. Um, so fucking cool. Basically the invention of a genre of detective game that, again, hasn't had a lot of like follow-ups in its style, but man, it is just like so creative and, and wicked. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 this game stuck out to me when it came out because it was a first-person game where I didn't use guns and and used a, mecha- a mechanic that I just was completely unfamiliar with. Um, before I mean, the this, witness doesn't have guns. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Mist doesn't have guns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? The, it, there's we, a lot. I, I, they, they, they feel precious to me. Each one of them is my, my baby. Um. I would say Return of the Oberdin is the, the, by far the best first-person game without guns that I've ever played. Yeah, I I think I probably agree with that. Detective-wise, um, I also feel like it was an actual detective game after Batman had kind of, I don't know, boosted the idea of detective uh, gameplay without actually being much gameplay where you would go into a room and hit your, you know, sensory button and little things would light up and then you would go touch them and you would learn a little bit of story. Um, and then you would move along. Uh, where this really does ask you to figure things out on your own. Did you keep a notebook for this game? No, no, and I should. That's what I would do the second time around. Yeah, I mean, the game itself is kind of its own little notebook. That's true, but I think it would really help. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not sure if it's my favorite first-person game without a gun, but I will say it is my for my favorite video game in which you play as an employee of an insurance company. <laughs> so I feel pretty confident about that. Yeah. Next up, uh, Celeste, go ahead. Amazing uh, 2D platformer in the style of like uh, Super Mario World. Um, really uh, gorgeous art. Interesting story, incredibly well made um, from the creator of Towerfall, Maddie Thorson. Um, I I think it's it, in a lot of ways. It, while it's not a sequel, I think it feels like the refined version of what like a lot of two D platformers were doing before. Um, so I don't necessarily know that it is like required required, but it is super great. Yeah, I mean, I. Maddie makes Nintendo games better than anyone except Nintendo. Yeah. Like, that's that's just the thing of it. Death Stranding, the game of the pandemic before the pandemic, and the most coherent and fun Kojima game, which I feel even more certain about uh, after we've played and revisited more than Metal Gear Solid games. Yeah, 100%. I it agree with that. absolutely rules. Um, and I think it is required playing if... You know, if we did like a um uh, a second syllabus or a second class after this, we're like, this is advanced gaming where you have to play the really uh, uh, heady stuff. Again, not because it's super smart, 
but because it's challenging, <laughs> I think this would be on that list. I don't know if I would put this on a list if, say, this was one of the first 25 games that you should play. I think it's. I think there's maybe a little bit too much going on, and I think to appreciate Death Stranding, you kind of have to have a really good grasp of the history of video games. Um, I, I would certainly put it on, like yet. if we were doing a, a roundup of like the most interesting open world games, unquestionably, yeah, this would be on there. That's actually a good reason to keep uh, Near Automata off this too. Now that I think of it, in that both these games, I think are in such deep conversation with video games at large that they certainly are not like the 25 games that you should play first to have an appreciation of the medium. They're yeah. the games that you, you know, tw- maybe the 25 games you play last. <laughs> After this, Outer Wilds, um, which I think I first played as a GDC demo many, many, many years ago. And took absolutely forever for it to come out. It finally came out. It made you nauseous. You bounced off of it. And then, Miracle of Miracles, you returned. I did. A changed person. Is, did you change so much that you would put it on the list? Yes. Really? I, I, this is, I, it would not surprise me if this made the final cut. Outer Wilds is such an incredible accomplishment that they made this like ticking clock of a mini galaxy or I guess solar system that is all working in tandem with one another in such a creative way with a, a uh, this game is, I will never forget this game. It is really astounding. And I hope everyone has the opportunity to play it and has the experience of trying to like quote solve it without looking stuff up because of all of the games that i've ever played that way this was by far the best i completely agree i mean i think it's a a, a pretty fucking perfect game yeah um everything's just getting me all sweary today uh we'll come back to it because i think you're right that it'll make the, the the final list uh that's 2019 2020 this is a funky one kentucky route zero Really, this game is released over the course of an entire decade, but 2020 is when the game ends. I love this game more than most anything. Uh, It is my game of that decade. I think it is a summation of that decade, both in terms of like where video games went. This game started as a Kickstarter and ended uh, as being published by one of those major indie labels. Um, which just shows how those games evolved. I think all the experimentation that it did for free and in between interacts, uh, it did some VR, it did some art installation, is so interesting. And I think the kind of journey that its story goes on, and I think it begins with a bit of nihilism, uh, and ultimately, I wouldn't say it ends up with a place of grace, but a place of kind of understanding is is just a, a joy and i felt like i was i felt like i was maturing alongside of the artist making this game as i played it that said <laughs> kind of goes in the same camp as near automata and death stranding of is this like the exactly the type of game that i would recommend for a must playlist or is this like just my personal biases you know, shining through. Probably. Yeah, I, 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 it hasn't stuck with me in a way a lot of the other titles on this list have. I think it's a very good, like, game and series, I guess, and visually unlike anything I've ever played. Uh, and the music is a st- stellar. Um, but yeah, just overall, I don't know. I, it just hasn't, hasn't been with me as much as I thought it would be when it started. And maybe yeah. that was because it took so long for it to fully come out that so many people were kind of like maybe using it as a little bit of a guidepost and and pulling inf- inspiration from it before the whole thing was actually out. And so when it finally did, it it felt like a little bit behind the times. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, two other things from 2020. We have uh, Hades and Animal Crossing New Horizons. Um, I mean, Animal Crossing... Uh, similar to Pokemon Go, insofar as I think the moment was yeah. was the pandemic. It was the pandemic game. There's no doubt about it. No other game 
personified the pandemic more than Animal Crossing New Horizons. Um, I think to play it now, you would probably lose a lot of that because you don't you aren't surrounded by other people playing it. It's still a great game. It's probably the best Animal Crossing game, but I think it is at this point basically a vibe game. And we have a vibe game on the list. It's Stardew Valley, and it's amazing. So yeah, I I think also. Uh- my fall off on Animal Crossing is just sharp and that I fall deeply, deeply in love with it. And then I start to feel like I'm wasting my time or quite literally doing work instead of playing a video game. And I really take a turn and that that's just not the same for Stardew Valley. There's there's a bit more meat and yeah. story to Stardew Valley that that I I don't know I feel like I'm being rewarded in a bit more white but like you said the moment was I'm, I mean the, nothing quite like it um and then Hades this uh, this is a tough one for me because it's kind of a perfect video game you know it, yeah I I mean it's great but I don't know why I don't feel like I would want it to be on this list because it's kind of perfect. It it is it, roguelike, which we we love. It uh, the combat is really good. The art is gorgeous. The music's incredible. The voice acting is killer. The script is really great. The, I the, guess what what it, what it, what would you say Hades does that teaches you about video games as a medium? I, I don't think anything because I, I well it does it does something it made they made an incredibly good fucking game yeah but I don't necessarily from for for the purposes of this list it needs to be more than that right y- yeah and I don't know that Hades is more than being a really fucking good game which it is again it, it, this this kind of awakening that I feel like I've been having with Death Stranding and Near and the like of. Oh, some of these games are what you play after you have this kind of like base level laid. Yeah, that feels like Hades too. Where you, how do you marvel it? If, maybe we'll do a sequel to this list someday. Who knows? Maybe, maybe with the threat stands. <laughs> I, I think, I think you're right. I think that's true. We have, I think, five more. Yeah. And, before we get into those, let's take a quick break, cool. and then we'll jump into those, and then we'll narrow it all down. And you'll walk away very pleased. <sighs> okay, we're back. We've got five more. And these are these are five that you want to make sure that we talked about. So these are kind of scattered across these these six years. Yeah. Super Mario Odyssey came out uh right after Breath of the Wild did, like in that same ballpark. Um but again, I think this falls in the line of Hades, which is like, damn, this is a good fucking Mario game. Probably the best 3D Mario game there is. Um, but is it like breaking wholly new ground? I don't think so. I think it's doing amazing work with its own ground. I would almost say the, the most interesting thing today about Mario Odyssey, like if you were to play it today, is that Luigi mode they added, which is actually pretty fucking cool. Do you remember that mode? No. Oh, is this where you, you like try to get coins? You you hide. I think it was a balloon or a hat or something and yeah. with other players. It was like an asynchronous multiplayer thing where one player would like basically hide an object somewhere in these open world maps. And the time it takes you to like find that object would have to be less than the time it took them to place it. So it was this mm. weird asynchronous multiplayer like race game set in the open world uh, areas of Mario Odyssey. Super fucking creative. The rest of the game is excellent, but I don't know that it like, again, breaks wholly new ground as much as just does um, the 3D Mario thing just super fucking well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a great um, mode in Gravity Rush 2 that is similar to that. Where yeah. You take a photo of an area and the person has to find it. Yeah, I like that a um, lot. Yeah, what a delight. Uh, Resident Evil 7, you also have down here. Yeah, it, I'm too scared to play this game, but I wanted to put it on here mostly because I think it's a really great example of how to reboot an established franchise in a really yeah. interesting way. Uh, obviously, Resident Evil had been third person forever, and then they were like, well, I guess Resident Evil Survivor, I think, wasn't. But for the most part, third person forever. And, and here they like changed the tone of what a resident evil game is they changed the look they changed how it's played and people fucking loved it and it really rebirthed the franchise into this new era 
that is now like both third person and first person. That's really cool. Uh, again, I don't know that it is going to make the list, but I did want to call it out. I, I also credit to Capcom for taking risks um, because it, obviously they had gotten very much in a loop with Resident Evil of making increasingly weird versions of the same thing. Um, in this whole period, I mean, Devil May Cry is doing some interesting things. This game, Monster Hunter, I think finally like clicks with a really massive audience. Um, it's just a really interesting window uh, at Capcom. And I think, it honestly, it's still going with the latest Street Fighter, which I think has, like, from what I understand, a really young creative team compared to previous Street Fighters. And I think these kind of taking big, making big changes with your franchises is scary, but you have to do it or else you die. See um, Breath of the Wild. See Breath of the Wild. Uh, Hollow Knight. I mean, you're the one to talk about this one. I mean, again, I don't expect this to be, make it on the list. I think it's the best Metroidvania ever made. It's fucking incredible. Um, I don't know what more to say about it. Uh, we're all still waiting for Silk Song to come out. Uh, yeah, you know, if you if the genre interests you, um, I would either play this or Metroid Dread or like the two, I think, most well-crafted and approachable takes on this genre. Hollow Knight is a lot harder than Metro Dread, but they're both uh, excellent. Yeah. Um, we also have Control and Half-Life Alex, which I think are kind of technical marvels in two different ways and are making use of technology uh, that is still pretty fresh and I think still kind of has question marks around it. Control yeah, I, with I, I think tracing. with Control, it's it's an interesting title just because it's, it's such a weird game and it has a triple a feel to it but because remedy made it they made it like as weird as fucking possible yeah and in addition it's like it's got ray tracing out the ass and is gorgeous and uh very cool but yeah i I just wanted to call out control because i i really do think it is a standout title and um has um uh, you know really breathed new life into that studio which hadn't had like a smash hit like control in many, many years. And they'd also uh, gotten out from the Microsoft wing. Yes. Like I, I yeah. this is yeah, an example of maybe it you should give people more creative freedom. Uh control is like the sort of game that I felt Ubisoft or EA made back in like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Like the kind of uh Assassin's Creed Mirror's Edge days. And yeah, it's hard to imagine one of those publishers taking this sort of risk these days. Yeah. Um, um, and then Half-Life Alex, Which? It's the best big VR game I've ever played. I don't know that it's the best VR game experience. I think um, Super Hot is probably the best VR game I've ever played. But as far as like a AAA huge like 30-hour thing... The fact that I like played and loved Half-Life Alex through the entire thing with a giant heavy headset on my face is really a testament to how fucking good it is. Um, I don't expect VR gaming to be much of a thing for, I don't know. I mean, it'll, it, it'll continue to exist, but on the periphery for probably the next five years. Um, I mean, that's the most damning thing I think that can be said about VR gaming, right? is yeah. we got a new Half-Life game and yeah. people largely don't talk about it. Yeah. It's just what it was. It, the technology is still not there. It needs to be my glasses. It needs to be as heavy and as small as my glasses. Yeah. I, I mean, I, and I it really needs like to not be $3,000. Sorry. Yeah. Apple. <laughs> it's one of those games that I don't think belongs on this list now and it could be added to it in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, yeah. I but, agree. but if, it really depends on which way the world goes. Um, and right now I am very skeptical of of VR being a thing. I mean, Apple really is making the final big go at it. And it's hard to believe that's the big go when it costs $3,500. Um, just absolutely bad shit. Anyway, we should pick three games. Because oh, I, God. Definitely three, right? I mean, definitely... <laughs> It's going to be like probably the hardest three. Uh, well, honestly, okay. I'll tell you the guarantees for me. Yeah. I think Stardew needs to be on there. I think Fortnite. Fortnite needs to be on there. 
And then it really comes down to Outer Wilds and Breath of the Wild. No coincidence. Oh, man, They're both I wild. You forgot about Breath of the Wild. But it that's the problem. Is like, uh, do you leave Breath of the Wild off? The game that like has just like, <sighs> you're right, sold the Switch, is like the most ambitious reboot of a franchise I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. How about this? How Where about, does that leave us? How about we add all four? Well, here okay. I, I think we're going to end up going a little bit over. But we've said in mo- in recent episodes that we're going to do a final episode where we yeah like, um yeah we will we form the final list. So I think we add all four. I think we add Stardew Valley, we add Fortnite. Yep. We add Breath of the Wild, and we add Outer Wilds. Yes. That means that we have. 21 games and we have 10 more years to pick from so in theory like we have four more games to add the, okay the years that we have here I'll, I'll read the whole list so people know where we're at from 1980 to 1984 we have not selected games hopefully that will be fine because i don't think you're gonna need to play many we'll games see. from that period we'll see I, I, again, takes that I say out loud and I can already feel the heat. Um, 1985 to 1989, Super Mario Brothers, the original one, The Legend of Zelda, SimCity. 1990 to 1994, no selections. Again, in a very important uh, window. We haven't done it yet. 1995 to 1999, Super Mario 64, Pokemon Red and Blue, Final Fantasy VII, StarCraft, 2000 to 2004, Counter-Strike, Grand Theft Auto III, World of Warcraft, 2005 to 2009, Resident Evil 4, Wii Sports, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, Demon's Souls, 2010 to 2014, Minecraft, Spelunky HD, Hearthstone, 2015 to 2020, Stardew Valley, Fortnite, Breath of the Wild, Outer Wilds. It's a good list of video. Good games. list of games. We do have to figure out the uh, the very origins of video games, so that's going to be tricky. And we have to figure out games from the Super Nintendo era. Oh dear! It is going to be a bloodbath in future episodes, and I can't wait to get soaked in viscera with you. I actually think we're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're just going to say Donkey Kong, and we're done. Yeah, Donkey Kong. Nailed We're done. Donkey great. Kong math. Donkey Kong. Oh, perfect. Mario does painting and Donkey Kong math. Fuck yeah. Um. Uh. Any. Any other? Oh, do you have a personal favorite for this? Yeah, it's probably Hollow Knight. Yeah, that makes for me. Sense. Um. You know what I'm gonna say? I'm gonna say Kentucky Route Zero. Oh, ah, okay. I mean, obviously. I thought maybe Oberdin. Yeah. Or near. A... It's. There's so many good games. This is, I mean, I could have, I could pick Death Stranding. I, I don't know. I feel like I'll change every every five seconds on on this particular list. Um, any any other recs before we wrap up? No, I think we've done it. Yeah, I. The only thing that I have is there's a new book out that I wanted to recommend people check out. Uh, it is actually coming out. I think July 11th. So soon. Robert Langdon's new adventure. And you won't believe what he's up to this time. What symbols will he uncover now? (laughs) (laughs) This book is called The He-Man Effect, How American Toymakers Sold You Your Childhood. And it is by Brian Box Brown. And I think we've talked about Brian's work on previous episodes because uh, Brian wrote Tetris, the graphic novel which is like a history of Tetris. If you watch that Tetris movie on Apple and you are extremely disappointed, I have great news for you. This graphic novel exists and it is a million times more enjoyable. Um, he also wrote a graphic novel about Andre the Giant, but this one I am really excited about. I just started it, so I cannot speak to it being the best or the worst of his work, but I mean, considering the topic, it seems extremely promising so yeah that's it cool we did it we did another episode hey thank you so much for listening if you enjoy the show you know what you can do 
can leave a review. That helps a lot. Uh, or you can share it with a friend. That probably helps the most. Sharing the show, spreading the good word of the resties and the besties, it really, really does mean a ton to us, and we always appreciate it. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant. You are... Ross Forster. And this is The Resties, where the rest of the best discussed the best of the rest. Resties. Resties.